Good morning. It's great to see you guys. If you are new with us, you just saw that uh, little graphic there. We're in a sermon series called The Signature of Jesus. And what we're doing is is we are going through week by week the the book of Mark. We're taking a chapter each week, asking everybody to read it. This week we're in chapter 6. And so if you're new with us or maybe you've missed a couple of the past Sundays, there's there's a couple of things that I want you to know. Uh, We've been trying to say this from the very beginning, and that's these two things. One, the reason why we chose the book of Mark is because the the author, Mark, seems to be giving us sort of a highlight reel, and he's intent on one thing, it seems, and that's just showing how awesome Jesus is. And and the second thing is East Point, our, our goal throughout this whole sermon series is to help you see that, to help you see how awesome Jesus is and that you'd fall in love with him. That's our highest goal. So that's what we've been working on. Today's sermon in the series is about how Jesus handled storms. I'm not talking about literal storms. I'm talking about the figurative storms, particularly the storm of rejection. And Mark has not been shy about exposing that Jesus faced a lot of rejection. There were a lot of people who didn't, uh, didn't believe in him. And some of that included his family. And I personally think that that's one of the worst storms, if not the worst storm that a person can go through is when they're, they're facing the rejection from the people that they love the most. But before I get into chapter 6, I want to do a little bit of a recap over all the things that we have talked about or that Mark has shown leading up to this point. And how it really all begins was like this. There was a a story where Jesus walks into a synagogue, into Capernaum, like a church service. And in the middle of this church service, there is a demon-possessed man who suddenly shouts out this. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Yeah. Get your attention, won't it? I mean, I don't know what kind of ugly voice this demon had. I don't know that. But here's what I do know. He's in the middle of saying all of this stuff, and in the middle of it, while he's saying it, Jesus says, Be quiet! Come out of that man! And he did. It says that the demon screamed. It says that he didn't sent this man into a convulsion. And then, out of him he went. Weird, huh? (laughs) Imagine that in the church service here today. It gets your attention, won't it? But I want you to know that it did get people's attention. And it wasn't just that, guys. It was all kinds of stuff. It was after this that Jesus finds this leopard dude, and the leopard dude found him. Jesus heals him. Then there's this guy who's got a deformed hand, and Jesus heals him. I mean, his popularity, guys, was going through the roof. And speaking of roofs. He went into this one home and some dudes came along and they opened up the roof and they dropped down their buddy and their friend to Jesus and he healed him right in front of everybody. It's crazy. And, and then just for kicks, it seems like he was in the middle of the storm situation so he shushes it and it calms down. And the, the Bible, Mark, is saying here that his disciples who were in the boat with him were like, wow, who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey him? I mean, his His work was becoming so popular. And I know this must seem like somewhat of a crazy highlight reel, but it doesn't end there. It continues to go on. In fact, 
we see that Jesus delivers that naked dude that Pastor Kurt was talking about last week, the, you know, the demon-possessed guy running around a graveyard. If you weren't here last week, they show up. He's running around. He's in chains and everything, and they can't hold him. And Jesus is like, hey, dude, uh, all of you legion demons, come out of him. Sends it into the pigs. It's awesome. Everybody saw that. And it seems like to kind of top everything off, to, to sum up these first five chapters, and it's just the first five, Jesus heals a little girl, a 12-year-old girl from the dead, raises her to life. I mean, the reason why I'm pointing all this stuff out, guys, is this. It's, Mark isn't just saying that Jesus was a, just a super cool dude. No, he was making a very clear statement about Jesus. And it seems to me that what Mark is trying to do is point out to everybody who would listen to or read this book from then on to now is that Jesus shows some power over some certain things. Particularly, he shows some power over darkness and evil. That's a big deal, by the way. Power over darkness and evil, they must obey his command. Power over nature and weather, again, big deal. And probably the biggest deal is power over disease and death. In other words, what Mark is saying is, is that Jesus isn't just some, some really super cool, awesome dude. He's God. He genuinely is God. Now, thousands, and I mean thousands and thousands of people, we're wanting to get some of Jesus, wanting to be around him. And we know that they looked at him as being heroic. And that's not unfamiliar to us. We have a, a familiarity with what it looks like when we come in connection with our heroes. What does that environment look like? Take a look at this video. Jesse Jones on fourth and Denny for one of the most remarkable days in anyone's life in Seattle. Hey, buddy. This is the moment of a lifetime. Well, I'll tell you what, there's no mediocre fans here. Ready? Sing! 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 Hey, what up, club, man? We here, baby. Come on, come on. Why aren't you in school today? I got to watch the parade, man. You get in there. It looks like you took the Pacific Northwest shook it all out in Seattle and lined everybody up and down 4th Avenue. And everybody's ready to see the world champions. Amazing. Couldn't be no better from the fans. And there's the Lombardi Trophy. Now that is a history lesson. Seahawks win. That's the way we do it. <laughs> You know, I think it's cool. And I'm confident that God doesn't have any problem with us and our silly team loyalties and getting all excited and chanting and painting our faces and getting stupid. I, I think God's cool with all that. My, my, my point in bringing that up is this, is when you get excited as a fan about what somebody has done for you, it, it moves you. It, it, it makes you happy. And it should make you happy. And, and this was a beautiful scene. People who were... And maybe that was some of you. I mean, there were 700,000 people who showed up for a homecoming for the Seattle Seahawks. But let's face it, guys. The stuff that Jesus did is a lot more important than winning a Super Bowl trophy. It really is. It really is. And so the reason why I bring that up is because if you were reading with us this past week, Mark chapter 6, you know that Jesus is going home. I mean, yay, yippee, right? I mean, you think the, the town would be kind of like what we just saw there. Banners hung across the street. Jesus, you're awesome. People hanging out of windows, lining the streets. Jesus, Jesus. 
taking selfies, you know. <laughs> That's what we'd be doing. I think it would be cool, but, you know, this is not what happened for Jesus. He shows up in Nazareth, and this is what has taken place. If you have a Bible app or your Bible open, turn it to Mark chapter 6. If not, no, no problem. I'm going to have the words up on the screen for you, and you can read it along with me. This is what it says. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Ouch. I mean, think about that. Jesus goes home and everybody there is just like, no, dude, you're just a carpenter. You're just the son of Mary all grown up. You are not the miracle-working son of God. No. Have you ever been scoffed at? Have you ever had somebody say, you're just a, and then go on to tell you why you're not awesome? Hurts, huh? Not cool. If you know what it feels like to be mocked or derided or ridiculed, if you know what it's like to be belittled or diminished, to be made fun of, then you know what it's like to be scoffed at. What do you do in a moment like that? I mean, honestly, what do you do in a moment like that when you've just been diminished? You and your value has been marginalized or made to feel like you just don't exist. What do you do? I know a little bit about that. I don't know what it was like maybe for Jesus, but I know a little bit of what it was like. I can remember a time when I was in high school as a senior in high school, and I was going to be trying out for the varsity basketball team. I had played on the varsity basketball team when I was a sophomore, and right before my junior season, I broke my foot and wasn't able to play, and so it was my senior season. It was my last chance, and me and a buddy of mine named Mike, we had gained quite the reputation for being the two-on-two basketball studs. We were both a couple of short guys, but we could knock it from outside, and it was just fun. It was a great time, and we were looking forward to it, so I'm in the locker room with Mike, and and I think if I remember correctly, I was actually putting on my shoes, and the coach walks into the locker room filled with all kinds of people, and he yells out for everybody to hear, King, don't even bother getting dressed. You're not making the team. It sounded about like this right now in the locker room. Wow. Boom. Storm hits. And I am... Suddenly, in, in a swirl of emotions, I mean, I'm embarrassed. I, I feel a certain sense of shame, um, anger, violence. I mean, the, the stuff that went through my head, I probably can't say in church, but I, I think that most of you could probably figure out what it must have been like to be in my head at that moment. It hurt. It is a, it is a moment that has lasted with me for the rest of my life. It hasn't impacted me now like it, it did then, but for a while there, I mean, for years I really do felt like, uh, I, I felt like, I felt like I was standing against a hurricane force winds, driving rain, just beating down on me, and, and it was self, it was just worthlessness, self-doubt. 
And the, the only thing I had really in my confidence would be the equivalent of like a flimsy umbrella. And that's the way I operated for a couple of years, all because of this one moment of being scoffed at. Now, I can say to you guys, and I think that all of you would agree, I was amazed at what happened. Meaning, by definition, I was shocked, I was caught off guard, I was stunned, I was astonished. I was amazed. And that's exactly the word that Mark used about Jesus with his hometown family. He was amazed. He was caught off guard. He was literally astonished, stunned, that they would be deeply offended at him and then they would just scoff him. Kind of weird to think about, though, isn't it? Jesus. I mean, if you really do believe that he's the creator of all things, he is God. Isn't it kind of weird to think that maybe he got his feelings hurt because of what somebody thought about him? Have you ever thought about God's feelings being hurt? How do you think Jesus feels about the way that we treat him? Forget the family back there in Nazareth. What about now? Let me be more specific. How do you think Jesus feels about the way that you treat him? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever stop and ponder what he must think? Maybe. Maybe there are some of you in here that don't know anything about Jesus. You're just like, yeah, you know that he's some dude. And there are some people who worship him. And, you know, they call him God and all that stuff. And you don't really know anything about him. I mean, if that's you, I can totally understand when you come in here, you being maybe distracted by all kinds of stuff. I can understand why while we were singing songs earlier and kind of, you know, doing our thing, I can understand why you were like, oh, dude, man, I don't get your thing. I don't, what is that worship thing? You know? I don't get that. I can understand that about you. If you don't know him, there's no reason for you to really, really be motivated, I suppose. So if you are diminishing him, I think that's okay. I think he'll be okay with that. Maybe there are some of you, though, who are, you know, I, I've done my thinking on Jesus, and he's just a really influential teacher. I mean, I've heard a lot of people compare Jesus to, you know, he's a really influential leader, and he's iconic. And, but if Jesus did all this stuff, all these amazing things, isn't it to say that he's just an influential teacher, just another way of diminishing him? I mean, I've met a lot of influential and powerful teachers who've never raised anybody from the dead. I've met a lot of powerful, influential teachers who've never healed a diseased or sick person. And I have never met an influential person who has made a rainy day a sunny day just by scolding it. Now, I think calling Jesus an influential teacher is scoffing. It's diminishing him. But what about those of us? Let me talk to those of you who are Christians in here for a minute, those who are self-proclaimed Christ followers. Are we guilty of scoffing Jesus too, diminishing him, belittling? Let me ask this question. If a person who doesn't know anything about Jesus, nothing, is going to base their opinion on what they should think of him based upon our words about him, our actions for him or toward him, or our worship of him, what would they think? Let me remove you from a situation. Let's forget about how you make much of Jesus where you work or if you're at school or in the places that you do life, like a grocery store or a bank or a coffee shop, wherever. If we were just to look at right here, just within this room right now called the church, I mean, honestly, people, if there is one place on the face of the earth where a person, if they didn't know anything about Jesus, that they could go to a place and they would expect to see people who know something about Jesus making much of him, wouldn't it be a church? 
Wouldn't this be the place that if a person didn't know anything about Jesus, the very least that they would see when they would come in is a bunch of people who were expectant or hopeful? What do they see? What do people see when they come to this church? What do they see when they come and visit us? Do they see those who are so grateful, so happy that God has done something miraculous in their life besides just being a great teacher? Here's the truth, okay? We're all feeling it right now, so let's just get it out there. We're all guilty of scoffing him, aren't we? We are all guilty of diminishing him. We are all guilty of, at some point in time, not really making much of Jesus. It hurts. There was a period of my life where I openly scoffed at Jesus. I'm I'm sad to say that I made it my intent for many years to destroy people's faith. In fact, I remember telling a person on a plane one time that I hated him. And if and when the time came for God to send me to hell, I will flip him off on the way. I hated him. So angry. So violent. But Jesus and I handle storms differently. Storms of rejection, <laughs> we don't handle them the same way. And I'm thinking the same thing is true about you, too. I don't think that you handle the storms the same way that Jesus does, either. And I'll never forget the day when Christ's Holy Spirit met me on a plane on an unscheduled appointment, and he rocked my world. I remember saying to him, in my mind, not out loud, why? I've already made it clear I don't want you. And I had this overwhelming sense of a voice in my head of God saying, dude, I don't, I don't care. I don't handle rejection the same way you do. I'm not giving up on you, and I will pursue you, and I love you, so get used to it. Here I am. And I just, I lost it. I crumpled, and I, my hard heart shattered. And I couldn't believe it, guys. I, I want to tell you, without losing it, it was so refreshing to have God say to me, dude, I've seen all your sin. I know how pathetic you are. I know how ugly you are. Why don't you give me all your sin? Let me take it away, make you spotless, make you brand new. How would you like to be able to stand in front of me and not feel any shame anymore, Matt? (laughs) Is it not a terrible burden to carry when you are ashamed of yourself and what you've done? (sighs) To have that removed... To have Jesus say, dude, I can take all that sin. (laughs) Dude, I can clean that up. Watch me. I was happy to give him my sin. The problem was is I didn't think he could do anything with my life. But I offered him my life that day. I said, man, you want to do something with this? You take it. You take it. You do anything you want to with my life. You've got it. I didn't think he was going to make me into a pastor. But I did mean it that day on that plane. Take my life. Do anything you want to with it. Now... But Jesus wants more than sin. He wants our life. He wants our will. And to surrender that over to him has become what I have seen for many people to be the biggest barrier. Most people I know, when they come face to face with the fact that they're a sinner, and they really are, they're happy to give away that sin over to Jesus and say, take it away. Heal me. 
You know, take away all this pain, this burden. They're, they're okay with that. The problem that they face, the barrier that they face is what are they gonna, what's God going to do with my life? They start looking at their past. They start looking at their present, and they're like, man, I don't really have a lot to offer. I mean, take my sin. I got a lot of that. But as far as skills and stuff like that that you could use that would be awesome, I don't really have a whole lot of that. And so a lot of people are like, fine, take my sin, but my life and my will, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't know about that. They're afraid. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're afraid. I know a lot of people that I've talked to, they've said this, Matt, I don't have the kind of belief you've got. I don't have the kind of faith you've got, man. I can see God's using you and he's doing stuff like that, but God won't use me. And I, don't, I don't have that kind of faith or belief. A passage I read earlier, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, right at the very end of it, there was a little nugget in there that unfortunately a lot of people kind of get lost on sometimes. I want to read that again and then I want to unpack it. This is what it says. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed. There it is again, amazed at their unbelief, shocked and astonished. Be careful. Be careful not to interpret this verse as to mean that God's power is fueled by our faith or belief in him. Like the movie Elf, Santa's sleigh. It's only can fly when people believe in it, you know. You look at the clausometer to let you know, the turbo thing. It's not like that. God's power isn't fueled by our faith and belief in him. Jesus' power was not fueled by the belief of the people in Nazareth. Let me make this very clear because Mark was making it clear. Jesus is God. His power comes from him being awesome. Period. It doesn't come from people's faith or belief. When it says that their unbelief limited what he could do in the midst, the reason why that was because only a few people came to Jesus believing and expecting him to do something with what little they had. So he did what little they expected, heal him. Maybe right now you're thinking, oh, <laughs> I would love to be able to give God my life because my life sucks. I would love to be able to give God all my sin, hand him over my will, take it all because I want hope. I want to be the kind of person who is expectant. I want to be the kind of person who is joy-filled. Well, I got a story for you. Right in Mark chapter 6. You see, at the end of this story, Jesus' disciples, they got to this place. They've been doing ministry for a while. They're tired and they're hungry. And there's this whole big, nasty crowd of people there wanting stuff, you know. And the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, will you do me a favor? Just dis disperse this crowd. Just get rid of them, man. Send them all home. Get them something to eat so we can get something to eat. And then Jesus says to them, you feed them. And you could probably imagine their response. In fact, it captures it for us in Scripture. They're like, what the what? Are you, what? Feed these? What? And it says that their objection was, is we don't have that kind of food. We don't have that kind of food. We don't have the money for that. I mean, are you crazy? You do not see how many people there are. It would take months to earn up enough money to be able to be, what? That was their response. You know, like, what the what? But Jesus said to them, I want you to feed them. We don't, we don't have. And they came to him with their objections. We don't have enough. So Jesus says to them, well, what do you have? What do you have? And they're like, I don't know. Let's check it out. So they come back to him. and They're like, all right, here's the deal. Here's what we got. Five loaves of bread, two fish. That's it. I don't know if they were being snarky. I don't know if they were being sarcastic. But I know that they were upset about the situation. And I think that they're probably a lot like us. We get snarky, we get stupid, 
We get sarcastic even with God. So what did he do with them? Give me the five loaves. Give me the two fish. Let me read you the story. Mark chapter 6, verse 39 through 44. Then Jesus told the disciples, have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So he sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed from those loaves. <laughs> What's the point? Don't worry about what you don't have. God wants what you do have. And boy, can he blow it up and make it something awesome. If you want him to. If you expect him to. Let's pray. Lord, oh, here we go again, man. If there was ever a time in my life, it's now, and you know that, when, oh, man, I want people who come in contact with me to know that I love you. I don't want to miss an opportunity. I don't. And, Lord, I am sorry because I have diminished you. I have. I know all of us have. We all have. I don't want to do that. I want people, when they see me, to see me making much of you because you're worth it. And I know there's a lot of people who are in this room who are probably thinking the same thing that I am right now, and that is, God, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I want, to, I want that to be different. I want my words about you to mean something, and I want the way that I serve you with my actions for you and towards you to mean something, and I certainly want my worship of you to mean something. And I think there's a lot of people, Lord, who are feeling that same way, and so I... I ask you, Lord, to hear our hearts and to forgive us. I believe that there are some in this room, Lord, that they don't know you. They don't know you, and they want to. The reason why they're here today, and maybe they've been exposed to church and teachings and all kinds of things, but this is the moment when you have had an unscheduled appointment with them, and you are saying to them, I love you, and I want you to love me back, and now they're just nuked, and they don't know what to do. And if that's you, and you're listening to me right now, I'm going to give you a, a real simple prayer. I just words. That's all they are. They're coming from my head. But they'll mean something when they come from your heart. So if you want to take them and make them your own, you can. Or if you want to just make up your own words and quietly pray to yourself, that's cool. But here are my words for you on your behalf. God, I don't know all there is to know, but I know that my life is not worth much at all, if anything, right now. So I give it to you. I give you my sin. I give you my will. I give you my life. Whatever it is that you do, you do that. Take me, take all of me, and make something awesome out of it because I need your help. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And if that's your prayer, right now maybe what you're already feeling is what the Bible talks about is the Holy Spirit marking you, sealing you, and identifying you, and filling you up with power. And it's that same Holy Spirit that's working in me and working in all the rest of us right now, giving us the strength to be able to live for him. And as the Holy Spirit brings conviction into our life, he changes us and moves us and makes us into the kind of people who are willing to take the kind of risks for him that we were never willing to take before. May that be us, Lord. Lord, please may that be us. 
There's so many souls that are out there that are hungry and thirsty and they're waiting for some kind of hope and may we be the ones that show it to them. We're the only ones who've got it. Oh God, I pray that you would do a mighty thing in all of us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're gonna sing through one last song. Some of us are anyway. Some of us are gonna just gonna listen to the words and make it our prayer. Whichever it is that you're gonna do or whichever one you're gonna do is great. What I wanna invite you to do is stand. As we sing through this, make it your prayer, sing the song, we're also gonna take an offering. This is an opportunity for those of you who consider this your church home or you think that this church is a blessing to you to support it. You're the only ones who do. And then after this, I'm gonna come back up, I'm gonna say a few words to dismiss us and give you an encouragement. For right now, can you please just take, some, take a moment and either be praying or singing this song and responding to God the way that you think is appropriate. Today is an opportunity, it really is. It won't be the last one in case you feel like you just missed it. It won't be the last. God will chase you, he will relentlessly pursue you. But if today was the day that you decided that everything changes and you seize that opportunity and Christ has become your God and your savior, I wanna invite you to do something. At every table, at every door, there are these packets. There's a book inside of here, there's stuff for you. Please take one, open it up, and then come talk to me, one of the other pastors or anybody. Just let somebody know what's happened in your life and what's changed. For those of you who are Christians, today is an opportunity for you to, you can go from this place and you can make, make much of God and people will see it on your face, hear it in your words, see it in your actions, see it in your worship. But I also want to encourage you to do something to bolster your faith. Doc, uh, did, Jeff, Pastor Jeff Kennedy, one of the other pastors on staff, recently just came out with a book, Father, Son, and the Other One talking about this Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ that empowers people's lives and changes them. I invite you, go back there, say hi to Doc, get a book for yourself, get one for a friend. Guys, Christ's Spirit wants to do an amazing work in us. I hope that he will have access to do it in your, in your world and in mine this week. God bless you guys. If you need prayer, make your way forward. If not, make your way out. Don't forget about signing up for the Guatemala trip or for the tech team. Love you guys. God bless you guys. Hope to see you next week.